Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Villalucci Podcast. Honest, uncensored, and unedited discussions about life and everything in it. So sit back, relax, and let's start the show. It's weird now we don't crash in anymore. Yeah, we've been getting more pro- professional, I think. I don't like I've been it trying to, No, <laughs> you don't like the pressure. I saw oh, no, I, just, talk I shit. feel like, because uh, there's always that moment of dead air. Have we crashed in now? Yay, uh, yeah, I'm happy yeah, now. Yeah, Hello, yeah, everyone. Yeah. Good afternoon. Yeah, yeah, so we're back, with uh, we're back with you. How many times have you been on there, John? Six. Six now. Cool. I think of that. He's put up well, with us for yeah, six. Exactly. <laughs> well, me specifically. Well, I didn't want to say. <laughs> John, people are saying on the street this is going to be a tremendous show. Do you want to confirm that? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Andrew, have you heard the same thing? Uh, it's it's all that the paper's been on about. <laughs> yeah. Just like nothing nothing to do with any sort <laughs> of political uh, movements. Or... Access Hollywood are really looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Too. What's the big um, sort of um, journalistic magazine in America? Like Hollywood Reporter? Or... Yeah, you got the Hollywood there's Reporter. Variety, still going? There's Variety, there's Hollywood Reporter. There used to be Premier, which I used to collect religiously in the 80s and 90s, but that kind of folded. Um, which, what was the horror magazine? Used to be Van, no, Fangoria, which is still—I yeah. think that's still going. Um, still going? Somebody was wearing so. a Fangoria T-shirt at the Fright Fest. That's quite good. Yeah, that's okay. good. Yeah. So Even we're doing the, the uh, top ten documentaries of all time. Yeah, we're doing well. We're doing my my well, top documentaries. <laughs> uh, that's all that matters. Though. Yeah, that's all that matters. Um, and we've split it into two. It's five straight documentaries and five music documentaries. Okay. Um, and there's there's some interesting ones. Are um, we going in any order? Or you... um, yeah, we're going in okay. uh, chronological order in oh, reverse. Yeah, like, um, yeah. Now, which would you like first? Would you like the top five documentaries or the no, top five get, music? Get the music ones out of the way. Okay, get the music ones out of the way. Because <laughs> I'm not going to know anything about them. You might do. Oh, okay, yeah. so um, go for it. Again, go. these are these are five that I I've sort of picked based on the criteria. Is they are movies that kind of are celebrations of music, but also have a bit of factual behind them. Okay. Um, I mean, there are concert films out there. I mean, there's things like The Kids Are All Right, which was a montage of Who clips. There's things like You Two, Rassel and Hum, which split everybody in 1988 because it was at the time when um, Bono, U2 were sort of becoming big, but then they had, an, they had a backlash because U2 were trying to celebrate. They were trying to explore American blues and stuff. And of course... You two are not a blues band. You two are a unique Irish mm. band who played a certain sound. Um, and they, they kind of, I mean, there's a very, one of the most laughable moments is where during Silver and Gold, Bono says, Edge play the blues, and he's not playing the blues, he's playing a U2 single sound. Um, there's things like Jonathan Demme's Stop Making Sense, which is the Talking Heads documentary, which again is a wonderful concert. And it just starts with, David Byrne on a set on a on a single stage, which is Baron singing Psycho Killer, and then they build the set as the concert goes, and it's it's really worth watching. There's things like um, there's all kinds of stuff. So these ones are what I would pick as um, my top five. So at number five, we're going to talk about Quincy. Now this was a Netflix documentary which was released last year, and it's Quincy a, Jones, yeah, okay, and it's a celebration it. of Quincy Jones. Well, it's, it's by his daughter, isn't it? It's Rashida. co-directed by co-written and directed by his daughter Rashida, and it talks about his incredible career. Um, so, you know, people sort of see him purely as the Michael Jackson um, producer on mm. things like on Off the Wall, 
thriller and bad. And in this documentary, what's interesting is I don't know whether it's because of all the Michael Jackson controversy, they actually decided they weren't going to do all that. They wanted to concentrate more on Quincy Jones because ultimately... Do they refer to it at all? They do refer to it, but not as much as you'd expect. Whereas back in the 80s, there was... You could watch... You couldn't, 1982, 83, it was like the album. Yeah. I mean, it, it still is one of the albums of all time, but they don't have it in this documentary. So it's more about his work as a composer, as a writer. Um, it's really great because they have, um, I think Dr. Dre, at the outset of it, Dr. Dre's doing a podcast with him, but he's an amazing figure. I mean, he, he start, it's, it's sort of a celebration of his life, his struggles to be accepted, the fact that he worked with... Um, I think people like Burt Bacharach and stuff like that. And the documentary really is this very colorful um, example that actually is what Netflix do very, very yeah. well. I think Netflix kind of have been criticized recently because they're trying to branch out into like, because of the on-demand and stuff. They've kind of been, a lot of people are quite wary because of the fact that they're, they're technically a streaming platform, but they want to be film distributors. They want to mm. show a lot of stuff. So things like Quincy will turn up in the, um on on the big screen but then of course they're streamed over you know the, the internet and stuff yeah. like that so it, it's it's a great i mean i i mean you 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 hear a certain record and you hear a certain record and you think oh so that's what he did and it's like yeah. Right, yeah, yeah so it has that kind of charm about it and quincy jones he's one of the most charming um people i mean he has his family around and stuff and the opening sequence shows you his home where he's got all these discs and when you look around you're thinking Jesus, you know, you, you yeah, actually, yeah, think, yeah. you know, yeah. you, I, and, and that to me is what I think is great about, I mean, he's a legend of, of producing. I mean, if you look at people like, for example, there are lots of other producers out there, you know, Brian Eno, for example, Jimmy Iovine, Bob Clearmount, and people who produce people like you two and Simple Minds and Brian Adams. I mean, Bob Clearmount produced the Brian Adams album, Reckless. So, and, you know, he produced, um, you know, Quincy did the music for The Getaway, the Steve McQueen film. Yeah? Yeah. So, oh, it, so And he also produced The Colour Purple with um, Steven Spielberg. And he did the music for The Colour Purple. He was a co-producer on that. He was the co-producer. He was quite young. Oh, no, he was, he was still, he was, he was quite aged. I suppose he's in his 70s now. Yeah, like but, he, was, but he, he actually, it was the one film that I think Spielberg did not have. It was, a, it was an, a book, the Alice Walker book was exclusively a property of Quincy Jones. And then Spielberg oh. took it over. Um, I mean, there was a controversy at the uh, 1986 Academy Awards because out of Africa was the big winner, but Spielberg got, because for years mm. before Schindler's List, Spielberg used to get nominated for a lot of stuff and then he was actually snubbed. Okay. And the thing is they, they, it got about 13 nominations and didn't win a damn thing. Whereas out of Africa won seven. Right. But there was kind of a concern because, because, you know, you could expect somebody like Spike Lee or mm. say John Singleton, when he was alive, might've done the color purple and, it's a very simple book and it, it, you know, even though it had a great cast. So it, this is really what's a celebration of that. So do check it out. It's yeah. actually a fantastic thing. So that's my number five. Okay, good start. Um, my number four is a wonderful one called Standing in the Shadows of Motown. Now, this is about the Funk Brothers. Now, the Funk Brothers. When were, did this come out? This came out in 2002. This is part concert, but it's also a part interview and part reflection. This is a fan. If you ever get a chance, it's on DVD. It's about the Funk Brothers. Now, the Funk Brothers are the musicians who played on all the Motown tracks. So when you listen to things like, um, you know, This Old Heart of Mine mm -hmm. or Reach Out, I'll Be There or Baby Love. 
Can't really want to go listen to like a Motown crazy, you know. (laughs) Well, this is actually a fantastic, this is actually a fantastic example because it tells the story, but it also has interviews with some of the musicians who are still alive. Mm. Um, And there's also some great concert performances like Joan Osborne. Remember One of Us, God is one of us. And there's Chaka Khan and they sing like live versions of Reach Out and Heatwave. The performance by Joan Osborne singing Heatwave and What Becomes of the Broken Hearted, which is actually my favorite Motown track, yeah. is good. But there's also a great sequence where they go, they go and visit the actual studios and they actually break down how they create a Motown track. So they, they say, well, you know, this is, we had the rhythm here and we had the, the things here. And the great thing is you're actually watching those musicians play the music live and you actually hear... As you watch them, you're actually thinking, oh, so that's what that sound is right, and okay. how they create that. And it's about arrangement. It's about orchestration. It's about, and turn it up. If you watch the movie and just turn it up on your plasma and get the sound out, it's just glorious. Because um, the, the um, I think the Ben Harper and Chaka Khan, Gerald Levert and Chaka Khan, rendition of um ain't no mountain high enough which is near the the end of it is just like really getting people on the ground i saw it at the um london film festival in 2002 and it's just a really great um really wonderful thing i mean it's it's an educational film as well because at the beginning of the film they they sort of ask people do you know about motown and then of course everybody misinterpreted goes well and they go, oh, the four tops and they say yeah but do you recognize the musicians who played on tracks and again and again it's a it's a celebration of that. So that's my number four. Um, number three, The Last Waltz. Okay, yeah. Now, this is Martin Scorsese's... It's the band, isn't it? Yeah, now, the Martin, what this was, was the band played for 16 years from 1976. Um, from so 19, what band's this? It's called The Band. The, the Band. Oh, okay. They're called The Band. And it consisted, they were a Canadian band consisting of Robbie Robertson, Liv and Helm, Rick Danko, Richard Manuel, and Garth Hudson. And they started out um, with um, Ronnie the Hawk Hawkins, and they played as backing band to Bob Dylan. Now, the concert, it was directed by Martin Scorsese. The original concert, the main concert, which took place in Thanksgiving in Winterland, which is an old ballroom in San Francisco, the original concert lasts about five hours. And I've got, and, but the concert itself is about two hours. And what it is, is it's, um, it sort of intercuts interviews it's the whole musical journey of the band and you have the, 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 the actual um, band members talking about their things. I mean, the funniest thing is the very first, in the very first gig they had, there was about five people in the room and a fight started. <laughs> um, and they have people like Eric Clapton on there, Joni Mitchell, um, Neil Diamond, mm. and they, they play and there's like, um, and Bob Dylan turns up Van Morrison. So all these musicians are like icons of the music business and, Again, if you're looking for a way of actually getting into those bands in a big way on those artists, this is another great one. Um, and it's intercut with interviews between, as I say, Martin Scorsese actually interviews the thing. So you don't normally suspect that Martin Scorsese is, a, is an interviewer, and he, but he's also a very talky person. And then actually, I can forgive him for this because yeah. he, he does know his stuff. Mm. Um, why did he choose? Why would he have been the talking head in that? Um, well, it, it was actually his thing. I mean, what, what it was, was how it came together was Jonathan Taplin, who was the band manager, came to him and said, would you be interested? Because he was working on New York, New York at the yeah. time, which again um, was George Lucas, George Lucas's then wife, Marcy, was editing on it. And New York, New York was like this 
it's had um, Rob De Niro and Liza Minnelli sort of went nowhere. Um, but um, he came to film. He came to do him. He came to him and said, "Would you be interested in doing the band?" Filming it. Filming it. Yeah. So they had about 32 cameras. And that, and if you watch the DVD, there's actually a really interesting extra where they, they actually talk, they actually show how he staged it. So he put cameras in various ends. So how to shoot various angles and how various things right. going on. So, um, And then it because it was the last waltz, they wanted to get it done quickly. So it was one of those things where I think Scorsese was, at the time, he was sort of high on everything everything um and, oh, he, yeah, al- is, and that... he almost died but he but oh, really? literally this was a, a, a companion project it was doing for new york new york and it's um and it, for me it's really a great um I, I love it because it's um it's a great concert great music and do they utilize all those cameras do you, do you know they do yeah. yeah and it's it's but it's it's the way that it's staged i think it's one of the best staged and best film concerts ever they really get into the music in a big way and then they also intercut it with sessions there are certain right, yeah. sequences where they they have people like emily harris and the staples singers i mean Mavis staples was actually at the um glastonbury this year um and then they have like performances like the weight um, if you saw Easy Rider recently, which was on TV, that's the that's the track which they play over Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper and Jack Nicholson going along. It's mm. one of the, um, and then there's a great there's a version from um, I think Evangeline and stuff. So they've taken um, like band track classics and they've put it on that anyway. So it's um, it's just a really great celebration. Um, so what's that called? The Last Waltz. The Last Waltz. Okay. Um, so number two is a relatively new one and it's a film that i i really do love it's a film called searching for sugar man okay uh, no i'm the only person on the planet who haven't seen that okay really? so this is so. this is a wonderful um i mean this actually made me go out and buy the actual music actually the minute i i, I saw it in an afternoon thing and then I, when hmv was off I i've got to seek out that soundtrack is so, hmv still going yeah, no yeah, it's gone, it's gone. Too, well there? it's fop is the thing um hang so, on what fop there's a fo- it's FOPP. That's the HMV shop on Shaftesbury Avenue. But HMV, there's HMV, no Well, it's, it exists up north, but there's no branches in London. They closed down. Are they all the- gone now? No, I think there are still some available, but inexplicably, there isn't one in London. Yeah. The one, the one in Oxford Street actually is boarded up. They still have like the placards. And oh, stuff really? Okay. okay, so this is the story of a Detroit musician called Rodriguez. And he, he, did, um, he did this album. And then didn't it sort of he sort of wasn't really big in in america but he found a following in south africa and he became it was it was weird so this is the story of it and you know he talks about his background and where he came from because i think the documentary filmmakers were kind of keen to know whether he was still alive um but the music is fantastic you know sugar man and there's um i think pure crucify my love or something like that but it's a soundtrack that i just grew to love and and there's like there's 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 a lot of different things and um and it talks about you know when he went there and people were mobbing him so it's kind of like um so a genuine phenomenon and again what what's really educational about it is that and why i picked it like this because it's really nice to know about sometimes i mean yeah the last waltz for example um i saw on television in 82 they bbc did a thing called rock week and they showed tommy and american graffiti no, 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 American Fitty. They showed May's Live in New Orleans, which was, and we, we lapped up all these concert films. Um, and they, you know, it was a great opportunity to see these, you know, because they, 
They were rarely, they were rarely seen. No, I'm just laughing. Trying to, trying to eat subtly drink my coffee subtly. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. a straw. I gave um, up. Anyway. But again, it, it's it's sort of it's sort of really. And what was great about it is it actually heightened his um, his reach back in America, and right. America really liked it. So they then did concerts. It's sort of along the same way as like Buena Vista Social Club, you know, the Raikuda one, which yeah, yeah. you know about the the Cuba, the Puerto Rican or Cuban musicians, Cuban, yeah. Cuban musicians. And again, this is another of those documentaries that really does um, tap into that whole thing. And, and I love it for that reason. So that's my number two. So what do you think my number one is? I mean, they could be all sorts, can they? Um, is uh, it an actual documentary? It's an documentary? actual documentary. Yeah. It's an actual documentary. Um, is it about a musician or is it a musical documentary yeah it's a musical documentary okay, i've got nothing then i was gonna say Elvis. i mean yeah but i mean there's all sorts and i'm trying to think you've got no direction home you've got uh you could have either uh, marley or you could have uh, a the amy documentary or there was the bros after the screaming stops or <laughs> kirk Cobain, or that a long time ago the rush documentary that's quite good up no, no. oh, it's got John. We, we're going back quite a while but oh. um i'll give, give you us a, a year or a... i'll give you a major clue it's a it's an it's celebrating an anniversary this year Oh, no, I've got nothing. Oh, it's, what, Woodstock? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that, boom. Okay. Okay, what do so, I win? Um, well, you win a... You take another coast Well, you, you win, a, well, <laughs> you win an Oscar if you're a filmmaker and if you made it. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. it, was the, it, was the, it was the 1970 Oscar winner for Best Documentary. Oh, blimey. Um, Who directed this then? Michael Wadley. And what's he done? Like? Um, well, this is his, this is his party oh, that piece. Is. Um, it was reissued in 1994 for the 25th anniversary. Um, this to me is just an incredible, this is a movie you have to see on yeah. the big screen because it uses split screen and it's like, it's like multiple, um, ratios. Um, and it's three hours, it's about three hours, 30, three hours, 30, three hours, 40. Um, and it features a legendary performance by Jimi Hendrix. Mm. Um, what's great about it is that it's all live. It's actually, it sort of encompasses, um, right from the very start about how they built the Woodstock platform. Cause all it is, is a field in upper state New York. And then it shows you like there's split screens where they play the music, but they also show at one point they show how the thing's being built and then they show the people arriving and they've got aerial shots. They've got, um, you know, and a series of concerts. I mean, the who played there, um, Crosby, Stills and Nash played for the first time. That was after Graham Nash left the Hollies. So, um, and there's also questions about, you know the legitimacy and how bad the how how the how good those musicians play because a lot of the musicians afterwards said they hated a lot of what they played. The Grateful Dead, we said they were awful. Um, but but the the real great thing about it is is it's just just a wonderful visual treat. I mean, Martin Scorsese was one of the editors on it, um, and it is on Blu-ray, and it's just a um, it's just a celebration. Um, I mean, there's an intermission in, but instead of intermission, it says inter fucking mission. <laughs> um, but it, there's, there's some really great performances on there and you, you have to keep your eyes on the screens cause you have different multiple angles and stuff yeah. like that. Okay. So it's, um, so that's, that's really, it. Um, what's the sort of backdrop of it? Is it just following the, the it's event? The, it's it... the, it's the actual event itself. It was actually, I mean, they had so many cameras and they, they had to capture, you know, Michael Wally. Um, talks about it on the Blu-ray. There's there's several short documentaries about how they conceived it, 
But it just captures, I think, a moment in history so yeah. well. And I think for me, it is the best music document. It still is the best music documentary ever made because it's, I don't think anybody had seen anything like it back in 1969. Yeah, it's early. There is a 35mm 6-track Dolby mix that I saw at the Shaftesbury Avenue when that was a single screen. And again, I was sitting right at the back, right at the front. I saw somebody was lighting up a joint, I think, at the time. Yeah. But, it's, um, but again, it, it's, it's a movie, if you ever get a chance and they do a retro screening at a cinema, then go and see it. Mm-hmm. And try and see it on the biggest screen you Was possibly. it in Woodstock where they had the Hells Angels as security? Was no, that it? was Altamont. Is that the second supposed to be the second well, Woodstock? That was well. Altamont was the infamous Altamont Speedway where Hell's Angels killed. Um, yeah, they killed somebody. Yeah, that was that the Ro- Rolling. Stones? That's the Rolling Stones yeah. concert, oh, which is, right, yeah. and they filmed that as "Give Me Shelter." I mean, the Rolling Stones, for example, um, they had several concerts. There was like the Shine a Light one, which of course Ace did. There was one in 1982, which How Ashby did, um, who did Coming Home, called mm. "Let's Spend the Night Together," but they. A lot of these concert films often get criticised because they're kind of self-indulgent. I mean, the U2 Rattle and Home concert concert film kind of um, really ripped off U2 because they were trying to be pretension stuff. I mean, there's that really funny joke where Bono's at a concert and he says, every time I clap my hands, somebody, a child dies, and he goes, well, stop fucking clapping. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but, but the thing about Woodstock is that in this time of artifice and in this time of the X Factor and Simon Cowell and everything else, and the, the, you know, and Stock Aiken Waterman, where there's a lot of um, fake, like people are covered up by the technology. This is actually showing you that these musicians can genuinely yeah, play. That's good. And the thing about it is, is it's also about, they also intercut clips with some of the people in the, in the, um, Right from the very beginning, there's a shopkeeper who talks about, I was there when this crowd really came and the kids were wonderful. And when they see this in the moving pictures, they'll really see something. And you have guys um, and then you have the people who organize it. Um, at one point, there was going to be a film called Young Men with Unlimited Capital, which Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez were going to play the organizers, which was going to cover the actual, um, you know, about how they raised the money for the Woodstock concert. As a film. As a film. Yeah. I mean, they tried to do, they did an up, they tried to do a 50th anniversary of um, Woodstock recently, a 50th anniversary concert. But I think apparently there was a, a lot of the acts who wanted to play withdrew because there was concerns of one thing or another. There's a story going around. I read it in the press recently. Um, but for me, that is the, um, that to me is my number one. Um, still is one of the greatest. Um, it's a visual treat. I mean, yeah. it's truly cinematic. I mean, a lot of the other ones, for example, are like single cameras and tend to have very more simpler arrangements. Yeah. But this one is purely because of the fact that um, particularly during a Crosby, Stills and Nash um, song, um, Sweet Judy Blues. There's three cameras and they cut it together. And um, it's just a great celebration. Whether or not you like the artist, it depends. I mean, another thing is, is it also depends on whether you like the artist themselves. Right. And on the DVD, there are extra, there are extra, um, there's an extra disc which has extra performances. So, so it's the 50th this year, 50th anniversary. June, it was, oh. I think it took place in. Um, Bear, Bethan, Beth, Bethel, New York in um, June of 1960. So it's not showing anywhere in London. And is it that, it isn't. Well? I mean, it's available on Blu-ray. I mean, okay. there might well be. I think they are. They have done a couple of limit. They did a day of limited edition screenings in America. I know okay. I got an email about it and that would have been great. 
Um, but it does play from time to time on the BFI South Bank. I know it, it plays, and but you can pick up a copy online. Um, so, yes, I, I recommend that. That's not bad. So what year was that? 1969. And when was, was Woodstock? 1969. So, oh, when, when did the film come out then? 1970. Oh, the next year it was out? Yeah, next oh, okay. year. So. Yeah, I think I'm going to watch Quincy, uh, the Motown one, and um, the Woodstock one. So yeah. thank you for that, John. Okay, so um, now we're moving on to my documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the first one is... Forgive me for the fact that you might, this is not a, this has not been seen all that much, but it's a movie I'm going to big up and recommend. It's okay. a movie. It's a movie I saw at the London Independent Film Festival earlier this year, and it's a film called Pluck. Pluck. Is this the one about the how uh, chickens are actually cleverer than we think? No, no. But... It's about how <laughs> no. There was one about you're thinking of no, no. Pluck. No. This <laughs> is no. This is actually about Nando's advertising in South Africa. Oh, jeez. Okay. So is this a new film? It's, it's a new out. film. It's just come out. I actually saw it at the London Independent Film Festival, and I met the filmmakers. But they they're still. I don't know if they've got a distribution deal. But it to me, it's a movie that should be seen. It's right. a, um, what it is, it's about how Nando's advertising was using South Africa for pre and post apartheid. So <laughs> bloody hell, that's very specific. It's um it's a it's a little controversial because Nando's kind of have been kind of a bit iffy about it. But there's some really funny things where they sort of take the piss out of people like Idi Armin sort of eating the chickens and stuff like that. So it, <laughs> but it, it really talks about in, and as long as he's not eating people yeah, but yeah. it's a very it's a very educational film because it sort of talks about culture and the politics but what's the contra- uh, controversy with Nando's and well because because it's about how they how the the advertising you know because when you think of apartheid you think of the censorship you think of the limitation and right. stuff like that and then there's some really interesting clips of what the advertising was about before oh, I see. apartheid. Okay. And then in post-apartheid, there's things like, I mean, there's one clip where um, there's a scene where there's an advert where there's a woman and she says, I've got no chips. And of course, it's her boobs, are, like her boobs are out like this and they can't <laughs> see that. So it's a really nice, um, I think it's a very affectionate um, look at, you know, in terms of a historical document. I think it works really, I loved it. and um, But I think the filmmakers have been very, um, that they were kind of still struggling at the time. And I did say to them, you've got to get that movie out and maybe submit it for Oscar consideration. But it's very much in the independent sector at the moment. It hasn't had too many screens. I think Australia, and there was a couple of screenings in Cape Town and Johannesburg. There was a festival last year, um, the year before, um, which was in Johannesburg and, and Cape Town. So that that's good. So but, what about in London? Is that out now then? No, it, it's, I, do, I don't know any more than that. It's got to search for it. It's got, okay. it's, it's out there at the moment. I think you can look at the, um, you can look at online at the actual thing. But okay. the reason I just, I just feel that it's, it's, it, it's something that I, I just loved it for. And I laughed right all the way through. And it, it's, I just hope it will be a tragedy if it doesn't get. Where a, did you see it? At the London Independent Film oh, Festival, okay, yeah. um, and there was it was one of those. It was one of my picks of the um, of the festival. And I think it won an award on the last day and stuff. So that's mm. Pluck P L U C K yeah, P L U C K, okay. and you can actually see if you go online, you can watch the trailer and it'll give you an idea oh, okay. of it. So it's good. That's all right. um, so number four. Now this is I wouldn't. It's difficult to know whether I could describe this as a documentary because it's more of a montage of images. And it is. The Hang on, no. Oh God, it's not. Isn't the? Is it two words? No. Oh no, go on then. It's a single word. Oh, this is Koyaniskatsi. Yes. Oh no, I think I'm it's very hard to say that. But. So Koyaniskatsi is a. I think it's 
a montage of images. It's the sort of thing that, um, you know, if you watch the IMAX, you know, and what it is, it's high speed photography and it's just, it's the word itself is called, is basically Hopi Indian for life out of balance. And Francis Ford Coppola sort of championed it back in 1982. Don't even have to explain it. You just have to watch it. And it's backed up by a wonderful score by Philip Glass. And part of the reason why the film is so iconic is because of that score. I mean, Philip Glass, like Michael Nyman and the Peter Greenway stuff and the piano, it's, it's, one, of those, it's one of those soundtracks that you, you might have heard in passing. But it just, you'll say, oh, so that's what it's from. Right. So it, it's, a, it's serious. It just goes all around. There's things like, um, you know, it's things like cityscapes and even simple images like a, a mother and her daughter in a TV room talking. And there's things like going into the people going into the tubes. There's mountains. There's like um, high speed camera work of, of New York and cars going along. And it's just stills. It's it's just a series of montages and stuff, oh, okay. and they made two other films. One was called Power Catsy, and the other one was called Nickacatsy, and it was part of a trilogy, which I think you can get on a box set or something. But it, it's just yeah. What do you like about it? What did you enjoy? About it's it? just it's just a visual treat. Oh, okay, it's right. just I can't. I would safely say that it's it's a it just just has those kinds of you know how movies sometimes you you watch a movie and you. You may not think about the narrative, but you remember the images. Right, okay, yeah. Because the images will always... La Jate, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Have you heard the, the photographs of the nuclear war? Yeah. Have you heard of that? Yeah. And where it's just stills, yeah. photographs. Photograph but that's stills. the key thing, is like you, you, you know, when, when we, th how do we define a movie? Do we define it by the yeah, performances? Yeah, yeah. Do we define it by the camera work? You know, without a camera, mm. is, it's not a movie. It's a, it's it's a, a radio podcast. podcast, yeah. <laughs> but the, but I just think it's one of those that when... When Barry Norman played a clip of it, it was always like, so the very final thing is he'd always play a clip of a movie that was coming and goes, right. I'd like to draw your attention to this clip, you know, of right. this new movie okay. called Koyaniskatsi. And the word, what is the word? What yeah. This word. And I saw it on Channel 4. I remember staying up late until about one o'clock in the morning watching it. And I'm thinking, what the fuck was that? Because <laughs> it, it, you, how do, it, it also, it also subverts the definition of a documentary. Yeah, because it's not really good. There's no talking heads. There's no kind of nar narration of you. Don't get like Brian Brazen, and we are in the mountains and we are looking at this high speed thing. Gordon's alive, you know. It's but it has but Brian Blessed, Blessed done any documentary? <laughs> That'd be amazing. I think he has. He you probably, know, yeah, probably yeah. about mountains. Yeah. But how, the, but, how long is it for? How long does it run for? It runs for about ninety minutes. Oh, it's God. a it's a very yeah. but it, it's. I would just put it on a really, it's kind of the sort of thing that you have, if you have a party at home, you can sort of turn the, the volume off and just put the images on. Yeah. And say, uh, you know, somebody said, oh, what's that? Oh, and that's it just keeps you watching it, does it, for that long? Um, it's, it is a, it depends really, you know, you watch it as a source of fascination, but it's one of these Marmite movies. You'll either right, yeah, yeah. love it for the images or you'll hate, or you watch about 10 minutes and you'll think, fuck yeah, it, I'm yeah. not watching this anymore. <laughs> I think sometimes people do that, but I think, as a visual treat, I think it's it's iconic for that reason, and it has such a wonderful, wonderfully memorable title, and it yeah. makes you research it and stuff. So and you're saying take a punt on that. Take you, a punt on that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's my number four. Now my number three, um, I actually still think this is one of his best documentaries, and it's Michael Moore's Roger and Me. So, oh, so which one's this now? Okay. So. <laughs> 
before he was bush bashing in things like Fahrenheit 9-11, he was yeah. exploring like Columbine. He did this really wonderful documentary um, about the plight of Flint, Michigan and General Motors um, okay. and the fact that there were several auto plants closing down. So the socioeconomic decline of a town. Um, and it's, it's a story of his determination to get an interview with Roger E. Smith. Who is who? He's this. He's the CEO. He was the then CEO of General Motors. Okay. But it also. What's wonderful about it is it explores the. Um, it explores the plight and the downturn of a city that's a town that you know how i mean in, if you look at newcastle for example the shipyards or suppose in birmingham with the ford thing or even in dagenham in um you know the the ford motor company and how that goes yeah. down so there's very much a lot of this stuff in here that will people can identify with but i feel that michael moore has become a little bit arrogant of as of late with with his approach because i think with things like just Fahrenheit, in general well with <laughs> things like fahrenheit 9 11 and stuff he's just kind of i think when you stop you there's no balance in terms of what it is you want to have you know be, right yeah. but he, he's a he, he has sort of acknowledged that i've seen him do interviews and stuff and he says i'm not interested in balance i'm interested in this is my message oh really yeah and i th I think also that's a very dangerous that to me is a very dangerous so thing th in this film he's more in journalistic. this film in this film it's kind of like you see him more as a you know kind of like they think he's a bit of an arsehole anyway but the truth of the matter is that it's the it's the fact that i what makes it interesting it is about how this event affects the town. I mean, there's one very disturbing sequence where there's a woman who she bashes a rabbit's head literally on camera and you know, like, and she actually sells the meat, but it's oh, such a shocking, it's yeah, such a shocking yeah. because of course it's, you know, why she's done it is because of what's happened at the factory. Oh, okay. And it, it, it sort of is, it's quite heartbreaking because you're dealing with people who, again, the fact that that factory was, all those factories were their life. And I feel that I just wish that Michael Moore would explore that kind of element a bit more. I, I think um, there was, I think the political climate, I mean, I suppose it won't somebody, I think somebody's already done with Brexit, for example. And again, it's got, uh, yeah, there was one, um, I, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty, but there was one where it was just going around, I think it was an Australian filmmaker and he was going around just England, just interviewing people. It was very black and it was just simple black and white Mm. Uh, just interviewing different people about uh, Brexit and why they voted this way or that, and it was division. You know, it was he was sort of looking at the the, the division that it created. Whereas mm. normally, where we've had votes and things, you kind of you know people sort of go, okay, well, I lost this time. Never mind. It's a bit you more know. deep now. But it's well, but it's but it's that's the thing is that I think there's. I think for a documentary to be effective, mm. I think you have to have two sides. Yeah, right. I, yeah, do, just, I feel that Michael Moore's Michael Moore's kind of. He's playing to an audience. He's, he's now. playing. He's trying to play to the crowd, and he's trying to do something which is, you know, I'm not disputing his ability as a filmmaker, yeah. but I feel that there's with when you have an agenda, you've also got to respect, but not everybody's. You know, you it's not a yeah. case of you can't please everybody all the time, but you have to have say. Well, look, hang on a minute. It's like would you have Brexit and Remainers? I mean, mm. it, you know, it, it's like the the problem is is I think everybody. There's a there's a leap of faith and there's an unknown here now because as we get towards you know as we get towards like the October thirty first deadline whatever it is people are kind of I think both sides are scared you know both both sides are kind of you know it but it but it will be interesting to see what you know it's better to see what wait and see what happens you know we're in this zone we can't you know the democ the demet the democratic votes is 
you know, it was, you know, it, this kind of thing like what I find a bit concerning and disconcerting about what's happening with Brexit is I think, look, it was a simple yes or no. You were given a ballot paper, you went into the, the polling booth, and at the end of the day, just respect it. The politicians in this country, they should have had a bit more. Oh, they were like sport kids. They were like, you know, hang on a minute. We're trying to do it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go any further mm. on it. But but getting back to this, this is what I think is really nice about it. I think there's balance in Roger and me, whereas I don't feel it's in things like Fahrenheit. So what sort of years is this? This is 1989. So this is before all the most well-known yeah. ones he's done. Okay. Okay. So that's that my number his, three. That was his big breakout, wasn't it? I think that was the thing that put him on the yeah. map, as it were. Okay. So my number two. Now, this is probably one of my all-time greatest favorite documentaries, and it's When We Were Kings. Oh, the, okay, the Ali one. Which yeah. is the Ali. And, and again, what, what I think is so fantastic about this is the is the mix of music, but yeah. it also shows Ali at his most iconic, you know, his, the way that he taunts George Foreman. Was there anybody known who filmed this? Um, it's a guy called Leon Gast, and it took him two, 22 years to complete. Um, I just read that, I read, I read that online, that um, from 1974, it was like he, he, he was spending time financing it and stuff. It was co-produced by Taylor Hackford, who did Officer and the Gentleman and stuff like that. But it's um, it won the Academy Award in 1997 for best. It went into the cinema, didn't it? It went into the yeah. cinema. It was a polygram release, it and it had people like Norman Mailer, taught, who wrote a book called The Fight, which is about the Rumble in the Jungle. Um, and there's performances by James Brown, you know, and he talks about. Um, I mean, the famous sequence. He goes Ali Bomaye Ali, which is you know, kill him, Alan, kill and him. it celebrates his. And it celebrates, he goes, I've got to go and see my African brothers, you know, the, you know, and there's scenes of him walking. And it, it's just one of those things that, you know, you know, he's, it's such an iconic moment because, again, there's no censorship. There's no, you know, Ali was one of those that I think he's the greatest sportsman of the, of the 20th century, but without question. You know, we can, you know, we, there are great sportsmen, but nobody was as vocal as Ali. You know, Pele, for example, could play football. Could he vocalize very well? You know, Bobby Moore. You know, you, there's a, you could look at all the great sportsmen in the world. But Ali was like a one-man, you know, he was somebody who defined his sport. He defined his, his, um, his culture. He defined his, you know, his generation. People who've never heard of him will be told about it because, you know, when Billy Crystal, I mean, the actual, there's a great clip online of Billy Crystal talking about his friendship of um, at, at the Louisville funeral. It's a wonderful clip. It's about 20 minutes, but he talks about Ali's thing in, in you know, his memories of doing it and about how he did it. And he, did, he talks about his, um, his you know, his, um, his uh, like impression of um, Howard Cassell and Ali. But he, it's just one of those really great you know, I, it, it, what was, what was interesting on the, the speech, he said, what was interesting about when Ali died, there were no wars, no terrorism. We just took a breath and sighed. And it, it's just one of those great, um, you know, we, we are, you know, we, we just, we can't believe he's gone. And this whole film was about the, the rumble in the this jungle. Is, this is really Foreman. about a specific thing because, of course, it was it was when he came back after because yeah, he, he right, got yeah. banned from boxing. But it's the whole thing. I mean, it's covered a little bit in the um, Michael Mann film, Ali with Will Smith. But oh. this is actually the real thing. And 
I just think it's um, it's another truly cinematic film. Yeah, there's really... a lot of the editing in there is fantastic. The yeah. way it's all put together, there's a lot to put together with the concert and the getting over them, mm. the politics of it all, and then yeah. the actual boxing match yeah. at the end. Um, yeah, but so it, but it's, a, it's a great yeah. thing. Okay, so we're now to my number one. Now, what do you think my number one well, is? Well, it's got to be better than that. So is it a well-known worldwide? It's a, well, it's yeah. a well-known film. Am I going to know it? Is, is it that worldwide? Well, <laughs> that, just, sit, just have a champion, see what you think, okay? Because um, in some ways, the clue is in what we've already talked about. Um, and I have talked about, but there's a connection uh, with what I've already talked about um, earlier on. So I What will, year are we going um, well, it was 1995. What type of industry is it? It's film. No, I mean, it's, it's about filmmaking. Is it about... It's about filmmaking. Oh, is it um, Hearts of Dark? Heart of, Hearts of Darkness? No, the, no. Uh, that yeah. was kind of just outside my top five. <laughs> but um, no, it, it is It is quite an interest. I, I think it's a fantastic Go thing. Go on then, what? Um, well, it's actually a personal journey with Martin Scorsese through American movies. Oh, well, Okay. Now, this was something he collaborated on with the BFI. Now, it's a three-part documentary, 225 minutes. But it's... Is that what it's called? It's the, called the, yeah, it's called. And okay. it's it really demonstrates, partly demonstrates Scorsese's wonderfully encyclopedic knowledge of what filmmaking is about. But it talks about the definition of what a director is. And there's, if you love film clips you are going to love this one. But it's also how he contextualizes the films, you know, because he, it's, I was looking online at the, because when I was putting it together, I was looking online and there's immense, um, there's immense um, clips on there and about what he's talking about. And, um, and it also reflects his own personal journey because he was, grew up in the Catholic church. And he, and there's, if you read the father book, Scorsese on Scorsese, he talks about the, know where he grew up and where's he from new york he's from new york um and his and his whole background where he learned what he where he grew up in tribeca and little italy and and you know the kind of themes that you see in a lot of his films so for example when you watch like goodfellas or raging bull or or taxi driver they are very much an extension of his own personality and they're the right thing because he talks, he you know talks about religion. I mean, he he often goes on about Jewel in the Sun with Gregory Peck and and stuff like that, and Jennifer Jones and and his home, you know, and about you know, the, you know, the solution to watching films if you're an addict is more films. And what I what I thought I loved about it was the fact that he'd introduced me to a whole group of filmmakers like Douglas Sirk and Samuel Fuller. Right, okay. um, like Samuel Fuller did a great movie called Shot Corridor which is about a journalist who goes undercover in a mental hospital to try and get the, to the bottom of a story, but ends up going mad himself. So it's kind of a forerunner of Milos Forman's One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, yeah. when McMurphy goes into the hospital because he wants to claim insanity and then goes insane. Um, but it explores so much more. There's so many um, clips. Now, it's not a pastiche of, oh, we're going to watch a bunch of blockbusters. You know, it's not like some film films for example which uh, film documentaries tend to sort of suck up to the filmmakers this one doesn't what it does do is it contextualizes what the filmmakers are about so you know you i i was i was sort of stimulated and inspired and that and if you go online and look if you go onto wikipedia for example and see because somebody has actually taken their time to write all this list there's a whole filmography of films that you might want to explore you know, and you think, oh, I won't watch that. And there, there's a whole load of them. And I think, oh, that'd be good. So 
that to me is what what I that's why I pick it as my favorite documentary okay. because it's a it's a documentary about cinema and it's about improving your knowledge. So it educates, right, yeah. it informs, it broadens your knowledge. And who better to do it than um, learn about it from Martin Scorsese? And what year is that? That's just 1995. Oh, 95. Yeah. So where did you watch that? I watched it on DVD. They, oh, so there's um you can, I got a I I sort of bought it and I thought I'll sit down and watch it and I ended and as I say I I, I think am I going to watch it in past then I ended up watching the whole lot. Is it over two hours? It's nearly four hours. I was going to say yeah, probably. nearly four hours. Okay. Oh, there you go. So there's a uh, learned a lot there. There's a few there I'm definitely going to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, any wild card ones that just nearly didn't make it in? You what was uh, the one you just said? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean the the Hearts of Darkness one is actually. Um, so what was that? Why do I know that name? Well, it's basically the um, it's Eleanor Coppola, who's Francis Coppola's wife, and it's her official documentary on the making of Apocalypse Now. Oh, okay, right. So, um, but there's a there's actually a um, there's a there's a book called Hearts of Darkness, which was the um, the the journal, the the actual journal, um, and. Basically, they there's some really great clips of people like Lawrence Fishburne and Martin Sheen in the jungle. Um, one of the most fascinating, Wasn't he like sixteen years old. Like, I think he, had he was permission from his yeah, parents yeah. or something. Didn't um, he? I mean, I I learned about an interesting thing. Walter Merck came over for a Cinema Gem event recently, and I asked him about the opening of Apocalypse Now. And the story goes that when they were editing Apocalypse Now, um, they were looking for how to open the film. And Francis Coppola came across this can and he said, what's in there? He goes, oh, it's nothing. It's just an afterthought. And it was the opening shot of the jungle. And what they did, he says, I'd like you to intercut this with the music of the doors by the end and then intercut it with the scene of Martin Sheen on the bed. Now, all that blood, apparently, when he's done it, that's actually real because yeah. apparently Martin Sheen was high on drugs at the time. Yeah, I heard they don't use dose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the whole thing is, is the... It as a as a really interesting filmmaking thing. That was that's another of those. Um, another one is the Empire of Dreams Star Wars documentary, the two and a half hour one, which was the extra on the DVD, which was a really great exploration of how they filmed that. Um, I wish they would have shown a bit more of the making of it, but they've just done. You know, if you read the J.W. Rinsler book, that gives you a lot of really interesting things. Um, there's there's a. I mean, funny enough, when I was going through. I was looking at all, I sort of typed in documentaries just sort of see what it was. And um, I need to watch a lot more of them because there's, a, there's um, you know, I've, I've seen, I've probably seen a lot in passing, but I probably have yeah. to go over it. Do, but, you, have you, do you ever see a documentary called, um, oh no, uh, The King of Kong, The Fistful of Quarters, about the competition for King Kong at the arcade game? Oh, blimey. Yeah, if you ever watch this, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen because it's I've all, heard of it, yeah. It's, it's like, forget Star Wars. This is a real st- story of good and evil. Like, there's mm-hmm. one sort of mildly autistic guy who's very nice, and there's this other guy who thinks he's Muhammad Ali. Like, he just beats everyone. And it's funny because years later, which is like a few years ago now, it turned out that he was cheating. Oh, like again, he was fighting. Well, it off, actually, but he was so famous in the industry. Okay, well, the, yeah. <laughs> well, there are actually two that I would also recommend. One of them is Morgan Spurlock's Super Size Me, which is about the guy who actually oh, the McDonald's. Yeah, he wanted to go there. But the one that I'm interested in seeing is about the the scandal of the ET cartridge, um, the Atari video game, like yeah. the the Atari. Okay, so this is the story: the Atari VCS, which is the which was kind of the PlayStation for the eighties. Yeah. I am not. I can say I'm proud owner. We own one. Yeah, it's cartridges, space invaders. So yours isn't one of the ones in the landfill, then. 
the ET. No, yet. no, I never bought. Well, we, to be honest with you, DJ, I, I sort of saw it, and it was one of those games I didn't buy. I mean, a lot. Of, I know I had friends. There was a Raiders of the Lost Ark game. There was even a Texas Chainsaw Massacre no, game. Was there? Seriously, yeah. <laughs> um, Wizard Video did. Is that well, why you're playing a uh, Leatherface? Probably. Yes. Yeah, away from him. But that, but the problem was with the limited the limitations, um, the limitations of the graphics. I mean, they were they were really bad. You, I mean, I had we had Defender. We had like the Defender game, which was really good because. Because, you know, in the arcade, there was like several buttons, but it was like the, um, you know, but what they did was they actually did a very clever thing because all you had was a joystick and a button, but you could actually go around. And the way they did it was very clever and the actual graphics were really good. Okay. E.T., the Atari, they did a deal with Universal to do an E.T. video game, but they actually didn't sell enough. So <laughs> basically there were millions of cartridges and they dumped it in the desert. So somebody, what had happened was some a filmmaker actually decided to go and track them down and they actually found them in no, the desert. Really? So the whole story is, it's, it's about the, um, it's about that whole scandal. You know, oh. the fact that, you know, they, they got rid of them. Um, another one that I'd recommend is the Stanley Kubrick, a life in pictures. Um, if you get a chance before September the 17th, go to the Stanley Kubrick exhibition. I booked my tickets. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. I went there earlier this year. It is a fantastic... Do if, you, if you ever want to get a sense of it, also a big up to anybody. If you haven't been, do go. Do not miss out on this before it goes away. It's a wonderful... Um, it's like an exploration, but it has all those genuine props. You can take photographs, just don't use flash. Mm -hmm. um, but there's like there's the, there's the actual phallic sculpture from A Clockwork Orange. I mean, who doesn't want that? It includes the. Um, it also includes the filing system for one of the unproduced Kubrick things, the IM papers. Um, it's got the actual clapperboards like Clockwork Orange. It's got Hal in there. It's got... Um, I think it's got the Star Child, the model. It's got the Star Child model. There's actually some of the actual physical models like the, the Discovery in there. Oh, there's cool. actually... There's a... There's a... There's a mint... In one corner, they've got this, one of the sets from um, 2001. It's got the Overlook Maze oh, in there. Oh, I like that. There's that um, cool. Spartacus. There's um, the early stuff from Lolita and stuff. Um, What's in there from Spartacus? It's... Well, there's, there's a whole load of costumes and stuff oh, okay. there's the um there's the editing table he had and they've also included on some of the the tv displays they've got the making of the shining they've got the making of uh, full metal jackets so you can watch a lot of those clips which are available um it's got like full metal jackets in there um there's um there's some of the illustrations from the unproduced version of artificial intelligence which kubrick was going to do next after eyes wide shut um, which Spielberg then went on to do, but it shows you some of the really interesting things that they did. Now, it would have been interesting to see what Kubrick's version would have been like, because I think it would have been, would have been a little less sentimental, but there's things like there's um, like trains going through big mouths, like miniature golf and stuff. Um, the eyes wide shut stuff's there as well. So there's a lot of interesting stuff. They've got um, some of the um, designs for the French version of clockwork orange, like orange mechanic and stuff. Okay. So you'll need about two hours. Go in there. Has it got any footage from the moon landing that you filmed? Oh no, but, no, but, yeah, but it's um, well, that was a documentary. But it, but it, it? genuinely, <laughs> but again, it, it's it's just a um, it, don't miss out. It's mm. just fantastic. No, I bought my ticket. I yeah. saw your um, you've been to see the Dark Crystal thing. Yeah, they had a Dark Crystal. That was one of my BFI. favorite films. Yeah, it's brilliant. Go, it's so free. So what is it? It's a, it's so a they've done a new. So Netflix have done a new series. Is it an anniversary? Uh, no, not oh. particularly. It's just called um, Agent because they've been talking about doing a sequel because mm. it was one of those films that pretty much bombed on release really? um, and wasn't 
particularly well received critically, but has grown in stature. And I think mm, it's yeah. one of those ones where people who watched it at the time loved it. They either they shared it with their kids. It's one that's on. It has been in heavy rotation on TV. Yeah, it's I one yeah. I, I saw. I've seen it, and it's. Um, I think dark. it's things like the, it's. It's also there. Are, there are certain films of the eighties. The thing is one of them, mm. and Blade Runner, and Dark Crystal, and also um, Princess Bride. The Princess yeah. Bride is another one again, which I discovered recently, which I think is incredible. Is that Andre the Giant? That yeah, one? and you know, like um, you killed my family, or the prepared Sicilian. to die. <laughs> I, my favorite bit in that is where Wallace Shawn tries to swap the drink yeah. with Carrie, and he goes, yeah, "You're done," and then he falls over. <laughs> um, but it's also got like um, it's got Buttercup played by Robin Wright, and who's who's glorious. And there's um, as you wish, and it, and and it's just. Um, but with the Dark Crystal, for example, or Labyrinth is another one. Oh, that's that another film you know, I really like. Um, but the Dark Crystal, I think what's great is it's actually, um, you know, the puppetry and trying to do a complete world. And I think that's the benefit of what's happened now with, with home entertainment is that a movie that sometimes bombs yeah. at the, in the stage. But I think it's unfortunate timing. We've already talked previously about the thing, the fact that it came out two weeks after E.T. and people weren't ready for it. But I would have preferred it, as I say, I think Carpenter said at the time he wanted it released in the autumn. I think it would have done really well. Yeah. So but who did the puppetry for that? Puppetry for, for Winston, was it? No, Rob Bertine. Rob Bertine did the software thing, but Jim Henson. Oh, um, Jim Henson, that's what Yeah, I mean, I was actually reading, funny enough, I I was reading the latest Starburst about it, and apparently um, Lou Grade, um, he actually, Jim Henson spent every ounce of money to get the rights back for the Dark Crystal. Oh, okay. And then the funny thing is he did pretty well. It cost about 15 million, but it actually made about 45 million. So it was still, it was still. So what was the event? Uh, Netflix doing something? So basically Netflix have done a prequel TV series and it's all with puppets and everything else is not CGI because there's been talk about doing, there was talk of a sequel for a long, long time. That never materialized. What they did instead was a comic book. Right. And I think that did really well. And so they were like, okay, so people really are genuinely yeah. quite, you know, sort of thirsty, as it were, for Dark Crystal stuff. So they just decided to do it. Net, you know, obviously Netflix have the money. Right. So they so, are doing it or it's out? It's out. It's out. It came oh, out no, yesterday, I, was, I Yeah, I was, I was actually at the BFI yesterday and they, they, there's a display in the in the reception and they've got like, there's a video game and there's like a... Yeah, that's um, what I mean. If you go upstairs, did you go upstairs? I didn't. I just had a, a screen. Oh, they've got all the puppets up know, there. Yeah. You can do your voiceover. Um, but, another, <laughs> but another one, it, it's it's the latest example of, um, of a cult classic that has actually sort of found its audience and with the advent. I mean, Tron is another one. Tron mm. Legacy. That was, again, a movie that, um, you know, the which sort of ex- expanded the universe. I mean, there was rumors of doing a um, a sequel to Tron Legacy, but I think they were, I think Disney have kind of felt, well, you know, it's... Oh, bloody Disney. Or they'll reboot it probably. Yeah. But it, it depends. I mean, I, I thought it was a really great, I thought it was a really great treat and stuff. When's the uh, Terminator film coming out? It's out this summer. Um, I uh, they've just released the latest trailer. That looks better. So it's now. not coming out in August. Yeah. It's not in this. Um, but, they, but they've kind of... I. I'm kind of in two minds because I just feel well. It's it's it'd be interesting to see as an as the official sequel to T two, you know, and it's also the I'm kind of oh hang on what did you say there this is sequel yeah to T two so they're ignore they're ignoring what they've Terminator done is that they've what they've done with like with Halloween last year they they've basically ignored all the tr- the sequels right. from, from what they've done is they've ignored all the sequels from 1981's Halloween. If we're talking about Halloween. Right, yeah, yeah. They've ignored all the sequels from 1981 through to whatever it was, and they just did a direct sequel. Right, okay, the, yeah, I think So right. what they've done with Terminator Dark Fate is they've actually done, what they've said is, 
sod terminator rise of the machines terminator salvation terminator genesis happy with that they've got rid of the you know because i think cameron was so unhappy with what's happened with his property right. he just said well i'm going to produce this and it's directed by the guy who did deadpool mm. so, oh, so it's not cameron this no one. he's producing but like with elita battle angel he's done the same again he's right, handed okay. over directorial duties yeah um because he's been mega busy because i think he's retiring i think he's doing all these avatar sequels and that's it for right him. and what's this director done before deadpool Deadpool. Oh, Deadpool. So it's um so as it stands, it's um I mean I saw the latest trailer and I think it's it sort of captures what essentially is it. But I'm I'm hoping that it will be a better film than the trailer because the trailer kind of has a lot of. It just looks like Terminator Genesis. Yeah. The, the, oh, the, really? the early trailers. Yeah. The the most recent one, I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel a little more. So what makes you think it's a sequel? Like what? Where do you no, it, it's from? the official. It's the official sequel oh, to Terminator well, Judgment Linda Day. Hamilton's alive. One thing. Yeah. Oh, Sarah Connor's alive because they killed her off for I've Terminator Three. Yeah, I've lost it. So okay. it's it's so but but I think dependence it it'll probably be a test bed because fans are very wary after Genesis everybody was kind of felt that they'd because they tried to kind of combine cute with brutal yeah whereas I think the biggest thing about the first two films was that again you had a ruthless you had a, a very ruthless um, a very ruthless killing machine. Yeah, Whereas, I don't want the Terminator to be a comedian. Just let it go. Well, but that was the whole thing because in um, in Arnold Schwarzenegger's Total Recall biography, he said at one point he wanted to do a scene where the Terminator goes into a goes into a um, fridge and drinks uh, Dr Pepper, and he said, oh, "Look, it's yeah. a, it's a Terminator, Arnold. It can't drink." <laughs> so it's so yeah, it's it's going to be. It, we'll see what happens. Was it you that told me the um, in the, the original Terminator? Where uh, he gets into the car and drives it off. Yeah, he sees a woman reverse first and hits something, and then drives off. And they were going to use that where he gets in, but it's too comedic. Where he then copies her, gets in the car, and reverses it to smash into something before he drives off. And they said, "No, it might be too funny." No, there's a uh, there is a you. scene. There is actually a scene where um, there is a scene where the police officer bumps off the Terminator, and then the Terminator grabs the car and then sort of bashes the guy's head and takes the car. So he pursues. Uh -huh. Um, recent Sarah. Um, I don't recall that. I mean, the, 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 the only thing I didn't like with Terminator One, this is stuck with just this one bit in it that annoys me, was where the car race and the uh, chick, what's her name, Sarah Connor. Yeah, they're in the car and they and they have that crash when they get them both, and the Terminator crashes and the police turn up and he disappears. He goes and fixes himself. Yeah, well, that's. I that. think, well, why didn't he just get straight out and kill uh, them? I think because the idea is his arm is busted, no, so he can't the, the robot hold a would gun. go. <laughs> no, he's got his other hand was working where he could manipulate his eye and all that. Yeah, but he fixes his arm first, doesn't he? I don't know. Yeah, but they were right there in the car, in the burning car. And yeah, well, that's a little bit like yeah, why but, don't they just shoot you James can, Bond? Yeah, but you can. But the thing about it is, is that that's just a. I think one of the things is, is at the time you didn't think about it. You just thought this is, you know, you look at the suspension of disbelief. Yeah, yeah. no, it's ridiculous. I mean, okay, here's, here's one thing. Is is one thing? Okay, okay. In Halloween, right? Um, the opening of the film. Um, Michael Myers' sister, Judith Myers, gets into bed with a boyfriend, right? So they go, let's go upstairs, okay? And Michael's outside and he's looking around. Lights go off, right? They have the quickest sex ever. <laughs> Between the time that he gets from the time that he gets from the doorway into the house 
Is she? He's, oh, it's all over. It's all over. <laughs> okay, and here's, here's another one. Fast that's and, him. That's him. Okay. reasonable okay. to me. Yeah. We're, okay, we're on a roll now. Fast and, Fu- Fast and Furious 6. Maybe Fast, you went up on a stainless stair lift. Okay. okay, here's another thing. Fast and Furious 6, right? right Car anything. chase through central London. Yeah. Okay, now they've done this really wonderful sequence, right? How fast do you think those cars are going? Are they flying around? They're they? flying around, okay. <laughs> How long is the embankment? It's yeah. less than a mile. And they're driving oh, at right. 170 yeah, yeah, yeah. miles an hour. And they're driving along. And I'm thinking, you're not going to survive. It's like, so it, it's kind of like, they. It's don't get me wrong, it's yeah, you clever. You let certain things go. You know, but the way, but again, this is trickery of it. But again, that's what I'm saying. It's like the, you know, the, at the time when you watch, um, when you watch films, it's like you don't think about it. You, you're, you're all, yeah, as long, you, you're concentrating the story, you're yeah. caring about a lot of things. We, we see a lot of movies that are, um, you know, it's like when you look at Star Wars, the original version, you think there's a lot of stuff now and you kind of nitpick. But because we're more savvy visually about yeah. it, mm-hmm. we don't, you know, we we feel... Um, no, we are getting bloody cynical. I told you, a friend, I said a friend, a friend of mine before was complaining about the planet of the apes. He said, you can still tell they're apes, like it's the CGI. And I'm like, fucking hell, let it go. What do you, what do you fucking but, want? But those, that also brings home the, the actual um, credibility of the original films. When John Chambers' makeup was done, um, you know, I think what's great about the original Planet of the Apes is the actual makeup is superb. I mean, the fact that they they were working on a t- they did some tests, and the fact that you know when they did people like Roddy McDowell and Morris Evans and, and Kim Hunter, and you know it it's great because it's a wonderful. I, I think it's wonderful the fact that they you know these those, those are genuinely terrifying. You you saw them mm. as um, you saw them as you know these genuine people who who really were taking over the planet. But also, it, there's thematically, it's the scariness of it because it deals with the issue of race, the context of yeah. race and stuff like that, and acceptance and stuff like that. Um, but the makeup is what makes it work. Um, I kind of feel sometimes, um, I mean, the Tim Burton version actually is more faithful to Pierre Ball's original novel, Monkey Planet. You know, the ending is actually like that because they've done it. But um, I still feel that the original version. Which, I mean, it still pisses me off that the, every single DVD cover gives away the bloody shocking yeah. thing. <laughs> what it's, is it? I don't remember. Well, it's it's basically, okay, spoiler alert, but basically what it is is at the end of the film, right, I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, whatever. At the end of the film, John Heston and Linda Harrison are on the horse, right? Yeah. They're, dry, they're walking. Oh, I know what you mean. You know, right, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. then he goes out and, and basically. Yeah, you're right. That, why do that? And it's, it's just crazy. It's like, look, the, the why the film's so effective and I actually think why it works a lot. I mean, I think I read the book and I think that's okay, but because it's a Rod Serling co-written thing because he did The Twilight Zone, I think it works a lot better. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, so he did that as well. Yeah. And it's just a. So which came first? No, oh, cool. Tw- Twilight must come first. Twilight Zone yeah, was yeah. actually 1959 to 1960. And what did he do in Planet of the Apes? He co-wrote the script. Oh, he co-wrote. He co-wrote oh, the okay. adapted script with a guy. So he called, did go on to do stuff. Yeah, then. but he he co-wrote the script with a guy called Michael Wilson, which is not to be confused with the Michael Wilson of the James Bond films. Yeah. Um, but again, that's another thing. It's like you know, it. I've got a copy of the Planet of the Apes box set, which is the five films. And again, those films are, um, they are really interesting in terms of, you know, everything from Beneath the Planet of the Apes and Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, for my money, is the best sequel because it actually shows the apes rebelling a bit like the updated version, which yeah. I, I have to say the updated Planet of the Apes are superb. Yeah. yeah. The very Rise of the Planet of the Apes is just a real great celebration. Yeah, you can't fault them. You know, I, lo- I love that climactic sequence on the bridge. 
And Caesar go, no. And yeah. and it, I also like the fact when Tom Felton, he goes, get your hands off me, you damn dirty <laughs> ape. Yeah. Um, Who filmed all these, the Planet of the Ape, the recent ones? Um, I think the They're first, well done. Rupert Wyatt was the director on the first one. Oh, and I different. think the director of Cloverfield did the second one. Yeah, it's, oh, somebody, really? uh, it's somebody else Miller, isn't it? Yeah. Is it TJ Miller? TJ Miller. Yeah, but um, but I, I do lo- all feel the same. Like it feels like it, they they're all joined very well. Yeah, yeah. You don't. It's not. A huge but it's thing, a very. Yeah. But I think it's one of the cleverest reboots because the way what I liked about the recent ones was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Actually, it was a direct. You know, each of them had a really interesting, had a really interesting visual style, and the very first one it was like the, a real nice trilogy and yeah. it wrapped it up. But. I think the the very first one, I just thought, well, this is actually a really great, this is a perfect example of how to reboot a series. It's about how to tell decent stories and it's about the fact, I mean, Andy Zirkis, I think, also has to be given credit because he's, you know, his motion capture thing and what he's done to sort of move the art of motion capture and physical you know, and it's been going, actually doing physical reality and going to zoos and explore how apes interact. Yeah. And there's, you know, and the great thing is I love the fact when the, when the, when the, the gorilla, um, is it bright eyes leaps onto the, onto the helicopter Yeah. and you have that kind of thing where, and that is a real celebration of what you can do with physical action yeah, right. and yeah, CGI yeah, yeah. action. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and also as well, when it opens, you have the, and I love the fact when they have Rise of the Planet of the Apes, it just shows the Titan and goes straight into the thing and then okay. shows, you know, and then cuts out and then, you know, John Lithgow's heartbreaking performance as the person with the thing and the fact that the drug, you know, that wonderful scene where, it, where he, he throws, you know, he throws yeah. like the, is it the EC12 or whatever? It's it, like that, yeah. And it, and that, that scene where, um, and the, you know, and, and it's just the, and I, I also love that sequence where they climb out of the, of the zoo and they're going into San Francisco. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like the, you know, the way that they sort of show the imagery of the, you know, the, the apes in there anyway. Um, I mean, funny enough, I watched beneath the planet of the apes, the original sequel recently, and it's actually a lot simpler. It was it was not as epic as that. They actually had only one very simple set in it, which was the underground discovery, yeah. which is with the bomb. And I I I forgot that because I actually thought this is the funny thing because I I saw it about forty years ago when it was on TV, and I was like, wow, that's I, I don't remember. And it it was it's quite a bleak ending. It as was well. a it was a bleak ending, but it wasn't. It was what struck me was the fact that it actually it didn't because I I often see well how they stage things and how, how you budget a film and what it is. But it's such a great, it has a real shocking thing where they, they lift their mask to reveal right deformed things. And it, it celebrates that. And then Escape from the Planet of the Apes brings um, Caesar and Zira back to um, modern day San Francisco. And then that leads into Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. And then you bow for the Planet of the Apes. But each of them have some really have virtues of their own, and I think it's one. Of, it's still one of the best iconic thing. I mean, it spawned a TV series as well yeah. with yeah. Rod Taylor. Yeah, um, and then there wasn't anything until the Tim Burton one, which is an honourable failure. Oh yeah, um, but it's but it had its moments. I think it's. I think it was. I think it was just overall. It's just disappointing. Was what it was because you thought like, oh, brilliant Tim Burton. This was him. You know, still. When he wasn't just doing CGI, it reminds 3D me stuff, of the um, Batman and Robin with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, we go. Oh, just forget that film. Just it was, yeah, but there's something quite there. funny about but Batman. It, but, and uh, but no, but the but the biggest problem with the biggest problem with um with Batman and Robin was I think it had too many villains and it had too much. It was too colourful. I think it kind of 
Somebody referred it to like watching the Power Rangers. That's what it was like. Mm. Well, Batman Forever, I thought, was actually a really good... The third film was really good because it had, um, you know, the Robin story was in there. And I I like the fact that you had... um, I mean, it has one of my favourite lines... um, one of my favorite lines in Batman for is when, you know, the acid and stuff and they get on thing and Robin says, holy rusted metal Batman. He goes, yeah, Jesus. but the metal's rusted. But again, it was like the, um, and I think Two-Face and Two-Face and the Riddler, I think Jim Carrey's excellence as the Riddler. But again, this is where with, um, with like Batman and Robin, I think it became a little too, I would say it sort of became a little bit too of a, an uneven thing. And I think the actual budget and the actual, the fact that you, you know, Schwarzenegger wanted his cut of it. My uh, best part of that film was the CGI tear they had to put on Schwarzenegger when he cried. <laughs> it looked so out of place. Mm. You just can't do but, it. But, it but, you know, I mean, Christopher Nolan has done a really <laughs> great job of actually returning it to. Um, oh, talking to Schwarzenegger in documentaries. Um, uh, so have you, you, you must have seen Pumping Iron. My yeah. So the Franco Colombo in there, yeah, he died the other night. Mm. A sad, fortunately, his best mate. But that's life that, that is. But that again, that, but well. again, that's that's another one which I think is great because yeah. again, it's a celebration of you know Schwarzenegger before he became a star. But well, it's just the whole industry. The yeah. there was nothing before. Well, that, George um, George Butler who produced that, and um, and again, that was the start off point for his career as a filmmaker. Because after what that, did he go on? Yeah. Well, after, no, I'm talking about Schwarzenegger. I mean, oh. after that, he did a film called um, Stay Hungry with Jeff Bridges and Sally Field. Yeah. And again, he got a Golden Globe for Best, yeah, Newcom- Best Newcomer. Oh, it was Best Newcomer. Best Newcomer. Okay. And then he went on to do, because um, he, he actually played a bodybuilder in that. And then, of course, it wasn't until, and then, of course, um, he kind of stalled a bit with the Hercules goes to New York where well, he was dubbed, badly he? dubbed. He tried to buy them, didn't he? Yeah. He tried to buy them when, before but, he went into um, politics. But then when he did, um, but then of course he went on to do Conan the Barbarian. Um, and again, he he was, um, in his book Total Recall, he talks about the conflicts he had about making Conan more of a family-friendly thing because he said... Yeah, like, right, this is my problem with him. I haven't got many problems with him, but this is my problem. So <laughs> I, I listened to the book and he says like, no, Conan's not a, he's not a, comedic thing he's not this he's not that but they just watered down the film so much mm. so he's saying this to them at the time you're going to ruin it by putting all this stuff in mm. there but then he did exactly the same thing with terminator he turned it from a bloody robot into a stand-up comedian i thought well you have you learned that you've sold your soul just like them you get to that age and then people just sell their bloody soul so that's him getting old you get more money when you get the 12 mm. yeah so, so all that stuff he said about conan what, what about terminator 5 when what, what happened there what the bloody love story and kids oh, i haven't and, seen i haven't seen that one talking to george butler did he go on to do anything after pump night i think that was his main thing that was the we main. were talking earlier about michael wadley i mean this is what happens with some filmmakers they they will do one particular film and it's because they will maybe it's because they want to they they work so hard on that particular film it's like with Leon Gas with um, When We Were Kings. But you can watch there's the making of um, The Pumping Line that came out. I think it was the 25th anniversary, yeah. and I watched that, and it's really good. Mm. And it talks about Swartzenegger. I, I realised why Swartzenegger was doing it, because I thought he's got to be too busy to do that. But he's in it quite a lot. And I think it was before he ran for politics. It was around mm. that time. And it was basically, he was doing it to sort of counteract all the things that were in it. So he started calling it a docu-movie suddenly and yeah. saying how fake it was. And the bit at the end when he smokes the weed, he didn't actually inhale it. And I thought, oh, you son of a bitch. You've eaten you know the one where he's always talking about like how like doing lifting weights is like um, 
orgasm, orgasm. Yeah. and he goes through that he says oh well of course it wasn't I didn't really mean that and he keeps going to a docu movie go just leave yeah. it alone don't ruin it just because you want to polish that, yourself the one where he goes to Brazil and he's just touching up all these women on the dance floor and it's really hot and I they keep trying to that. make him stop doing well, it I, but I think in, so, in some ways it's, it, that's, the, that's the biggest issue you have sometimes is that you never know where what's going to happen with these things it's mm. kind of like with um, you know I think Everybody, I suppose, a lot of these stars get that big moment when when it's happened. So you know, well, I think they get publicists involved and say, "Right, yeah. we got to clean up all this." Yeah. But the, the the making of the documentary Pumping Iron is very good, actually, with mm. George Butler because he talks about the fact they run out of money halfway through. One of the people that was in it, there was a, a, a store, another storyline that was in it, which Arnold's supposed to be training somebody, and he dropped out, but he let them keep the money to keep funding it. And then they had to do do some artistic thing about bodybuilding in a museum where the bodybuilders would come down and they talk about the history of the body to fund yeah. finishing it off. But um, there was just a small bit in there with George Butler. I just thought, oh, he's a good filmmaker where they're on the stage and they're doing a, a small competition about some amateur bodybuilders. And um, the guy that goes up to win, he, he said, you can watch me run behind the cameraman. And I grabbed the cameraman who's pointing on the winner. And he said, he turns it round to the, one of the losers and he's, just, and he's just like, his face is dropped. And then they just follow him back down to the stairs it's a bit and, mean. <laughs> and talk to him. But then he goes on about, I'm, I'm doing it for my family and they miss me and I've, all this time. And I thought, oh, it's good. You see him run behind and just turn the camera to the one guy. Just get the tears. Yeah, and they just follow tears him down. And let well, him but, that's, but that's also sometimes people, when they try and do a pseudo documentary, I mean, Christopher Guest, when he does like things like This Is Spinal Tap, I yeah. think that's the thing is they they will always they're very clever about that because they will take, they'll take a specific element and they'll, they'll say, okay, well let's do the documentary. But then that's why they're highly effective, you know, like taking the, turning the volume up to 11 and stuff. <laughs> um, but it, but I again, think there should be more mockumages out on the, uh, yeah, well, the, well, the other definitely one, room for more well, mockumages to be one produced. Of, well, another, one of my favorites, if you want to talk about mockumentaries, one, yes, of, my do. one of my favorites <laughs> is drop dead gorgeous with Kirsten Dunst and Kirsty Alley. It's about the pageant. It's about you know it's like they it's like the bitchiness behind it and they yeah. they um and like um and it's also I think Kirsty Alley just plays this like stage mom and like and it's just a very funny because it goes all the way to this pageant that they have. Um, You're talking about the dog pageant mockumentary. No, that's best in show. No, that's, that's best in show. This was drop dead gorgeous. This Got is two left feet. This is about the. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there, there's a lot of there's I you know I'm I'm gonna have to sit down. I'm I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is probably tonight. I'm gonna go when I go. Is that back. the next show? Top ten document uh, mockumentaries. Yeah, top ten mockumentaries. Okay. Yeah, well, we've got the horror one coming up. Anyway. You've got to watch um uh, the King of Kong, a fistful of quarters. Mm. You got to watch it. It's fantastic. Yeah. So you, it's one of them things that just existed and they caught it on camera. Yeah. And it's I, about the King Kong. I know. I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think of ones that I would <laughs> recommend. Didn't you, you something to do with a music documentary or something? Yeah, I've been working on one forever. So yeah, what yeah. was it? Uh, it's about Casey Power, but we've been doing it forever, man. It's just so. Oh, so you didn't need to finish it? No, no. It's still got loads of. I'm well, just. I've been. Funny out. enough, this is another big plug. Um, I was at the um, I was at the Pro Actors Summer Party the other week, and I met one of the producers of the new Last Action Hero documentary. Okay. This is actually a really good one. You, you remember? Well, you remember? Um, you remember the? Oh, this is one. Talking of documentaries, the one that I gotta recommend, and I'm I'm gonna add this to my list yeah. is Electric Boogaloo, the Can Canon Films documentary. 
Okay, so this is this is the Cannonware. this is about Canon Films. It is a wonderful. It's it's been it was released recently. This is actually one of the best documentaries about filmmaking. Like, um, and it's about the Golden Globalist Brothers, and it's got reflections from all the people who worked on Canon Films over the years. So everybody from Toby Hooper to uh, Michael Dudikoff. So films like Missing in Action. Did they do the Masters of the Universe film? Yes, they did the Masters yeah, yeah. of the Universe Where they're film. switching the lights off during the final battle, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> but, that, but, but again, that's, that's, that's another one that I, I, I should have added to it. But it's a great, that's a great one. But this new documentary, um, from what I've heard from him, is the actual, um, I think it's about rights. They're trying to sort of make sure that the rights are, 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 are secured before they can do everything. Because, You've got people like Shane Black. You've got Stan Furstenberg, who did the American Ninja films. Um, I think if they pull it off, I think if they can get it released, it's going to be brilliant because yeah. it, because it's all about the like, like the second division B movie heroes. Oh, okay. So everything. Right, yeah. So if you I was think, going to say all the films you were Cin- mentioning. Well, but- Cynthia Rothrock, who was the, who's oh, yeah. the martial arts thing, she's actually. I think she was actually featuring them. From what I gather. Um, when they found out who was already on it, people like Shane Black decided to get involved. Um, I only heard roughly a few things about it, but he, he was the producer was telling me some really interesting stories about it. Um, so again, that that's another one that I highly recommend because again, the Canon story is like um, I think there was a famous joke in the eighties where um, somebody said to me, um, somebody um, a billionaire a billionaire father had three sons, and he says. You know, he asks this person, he goes, what do you want? He goes, um, he goes, I, I want a fleet of cars. So he bought him the whole fleet of Rolls Royces. Um, the second one person said, he goes, um, um, what would you like? He goes, I like a restaurant. He goes, okay. So he bought him a whole franchise of McDonald's and Burger Kings. He goes, he goes to the third one. What would you like? He goes, like a cowboy outfit. He goes, so he bought him Cannon Group. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, and he's, you know, said, um, you know, it's like, you know, um, what what what's the difference between um of I'm trying to think of what, what there was another joke I was trying to say I'll forget that so. okay right well uh, that uh, that was in a successful another what's successful your what's your favourite then documentary yeah. my one yeah yes uh, the, uh, is it the King of Kong one that second yeah know, let me think but no yeah I know the first one this is the American American movie which one it's about the filmmaker um Mark Borchardt making films and he's got no money i think he's in illinois or something like that oh, okay it's sort of the genesis of me doing everything <laughs> like the, the pilot ourselves he's the not magazine. the one that does the 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 hands manos the hands of face not that no, it's not that. Oh, okay fine. it's america it's about a guy who's got no money in like, yeah. like the late 80s and he's basically a well don't even rube it's like a bit of a hick and he's an alcoholic and he's like what, what is a hick it's like a redneck okay um but but yeah i don't i'm getting very specific but um yeah, it's about he's got no money, nobody around him that wants to make films, and he's like this auteur. Yeah. Like, he's a really smart guy, but he's been alcoholic all his life, and he comes to one last hurrah to make a film. He's got no money to make, so he makes a second film, which is cheaper to fund the next one. But it's just about he has to wrangle everyone around him from his mum to everyone to be, everyone, yeah. and nobody's interested, and he just watches it play out. And again, it's like the King of Kong. It's just they caught this one bloke at this one time making That's this one film. Way, though, isn't it? It's the best documentary, I reckon. The, to, to me, there's that documentary and then everything else, the American movie. Fair enough. Um, 
So there's a, we, we, that's a couple of things, scenes I po- like ponce from what we're doing oh, <laughs> directly okay, as a, an homage to that. We're going to get a cease and desist letter. Yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't make any money, so they've got no, yeah. they've got no backing. We've probably got more power than they have, to be uh, fair. Oh, God, they must be out. But, yeah. John, another great show. Okay. Yes. I'll tell um, you what, while you're here. Yeah, just to, well, just wanted to plug the next one of the upcoming documentaries. Um, as I think we mentioned, just to mention, you know, that I was just at the 20th anniversary of Fright Fest. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a nice little plug and lead into what we're going to be doing next, which is the horror podcast. Uh, now, this is what we've been building up to. This is where I kick in. So uh, I'm, I'm, is I'm horror expect- your thing then? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so mainly eighties. Uh, so will that be will that be top ten or well, top twenty? Well, this is actually one that I'm really looking forward to because I I actually it's it's one I'm very comfortable with. So yeah. the, what we're going to be doing um, for the horror podcast oh, is decided I'm gonna, already. Oh, producer oh, on the show. No, now. no, go for it. Um, so I'm just going to tell you. It's I already know what it is. What we're going to be, what I'm going to be revealing is yeah. my top ten horror films of all time. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm going to do a second list, which is of honourable mentions. Now, these are movies that I would not put in the top ten, but they are movies that I've loved over the years. Now, yeah. we're talking, we're talking about over thirty years of horror watching on the, um, on DVD, Blu-ray, and film, and ITV uh, on a Saturday yeah, night. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, actually, what was nice was um, just going back to what Fryfest was was. Um, we had a goodie bag, which just yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, oh he's been showing this, this was the goodie bag. bag that oh, that's quite a cool goodie bag. Goodie bag actually, you, um, you can see Mark, it. I say 20 bloody years. I'm trying to work out all um, the 20 bloody years. Yeah, <laughs> I, can't, um, I can't work out what who this lady is on the right. Bottom. The lady on the right is Suspiria, I think. Okay, it's and then the little doll, the little doll, I think is Chucky. Yeah, is is that, I yeah, I didn't think yeah. it looked like Chucky because um, that was the only thing that came to mind. But I thought, oh, that doesn't, yeah, that's um, audition and that's American Real World, yeah. Um, but funny enough, they um, in the goodie bag, I got a limited edition three disc set of Dawn of the Dead. Oh, okay. Which is um, which apparently is very much sort of. It's, I'm keeping hold of it now because apparently it's much sort off because they had about for the weekend pass holders they had about four hundred copies, so they handed those out. What do you mean you're keeping hold of it? Was it not given to you? No, it was getting, no, no. I'm keeping hold of it now. Not uh, opening it. Uh, no, oh, right, no, yeah. I'm I'm keeping hold of it. But it's it features the thing about that version is it features three versions. It features the international cut, the director's cut, and the rarely seen Argento cut. And there's like documentaries on there. So there's and it also so, what Dario Argento did a cut of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, because he he co-produced it with George Marrero. Okay, um, which it, apparently the version I'm it's like it contains more gore. Um, surprisingly for yeah. an Argento. <laughs> but um but no um but that's basically what we're going to be doing with the with the horror podcast because yeah. it's um so it'll be an extravagant horror we'll extravagant will be in a post it chapter this, 2 world. this will be um this will be I'm I think I'm going to be seeing I've got a I think I'm waiting on a confirmation for the preview of it chapter Ooh. 2 um, oh, okay. I might I think I'm waiting on that yeah, yeah. I did think that first but, one was so good and I've kind seen of either, either of them yeah or the original uh the original is worth it for Tim Curry. It's otherwise it's a bit dated. I think it's what is well, the Pennywise. But the um, but, but all I say about it, school, chapter yeah. two is it the original. It is I think it's the most perfect rendition of a Stephen King world. I think it just captures what I've read in the books. For example, I think the um, you know, I, I think King's writing is I I love King, Stephen King's writing, and um, I think some films work better than others. I think Carrie works better as a film than a book. I think Salem's Lot works better as a as the two part film. I think the my favourite adaptations of a King novel I think probably are The Dead Zone and Carrie. Yeah, 
Um, and I, but, but I love, but, but my point was, is although I didn't feel it was as scary as it could be. Um, and I still think the scariest clown ever was the one at Poltergeist. Oh yeah. Under the, oh uh, yeah. You know, which, which I think I, I still love that bit at the end where the kit, where the little Robbie gets bloody pulled under by the, and he's, he's being strangled by the thing. And then he gets, and then, um, and then basically like, um, Heather, Heather or Rourke sort of season and the, the kids being pulled under. Um, but no, well, so, so that's the horror. We'll keep that for another time. Uh, so, uh, your, your, uh, I've got some party stocking fillers for your party bag to go along oh, with. Oh, okay. As you're the new, uh, well, new, you are the official um, VLUC podcast for a film review. You've, got, you've been awarded four Ooh. of our official really? VLUC podcast quality oh, posters. Oh, thank you. Three quid each. Go easy on them. <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. Thank so there you, you go. So like you can uh, do what you want with them. Oh, no, that's fantastic. Good, make good door stops. Yeah. Actually, no, these will be good because I, I, it also means that I'll at least have um, a coffee mat for my, uh, for my coffee when I'm Towns, there you good. go. Oh, just to remind you of us. <laughs> just oh, the whole yeah, speaking of the horror. <laughs> well, time John, time. Thank you very much for uh, coming on, and we'll see you again uh, sometime around Halloween. My pleasure. And I may yeah. or may not be dressed up. Oh God, he's going to be dressed. He's definitely <laughs> going to be dressed up. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thank thanks, you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Thank you. So I quietly think so many things to get you home.